Chapter Forty of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter Forty. London. The winter passed. In the spring, Betty received a letter from Mrs. Dallas, part of which ran as follows. My husband and I have a new plan on foot. We have been meditating it all winter, so it ought to be ripe now. We are going over to spend the summer in England. My son talked of making us a visit again this year, and we decided it was better we should go to him. Time is nothing to us, and to him it is something, for although he will have no need to practice in any profession, I agree with him and Mr. Dallas in thinking that it is good a young man should have a profession, and, at any rate, what has been begun had better be finished. So, sometime in May we think to leave Seaforth on our way to London. Dear Betty, will you take pity on an old woman and go with us to give us the brightness of your youth? Don't you want to see London? And I presume by this time Pitt has qualified himself to be a good Cicerone. Besides, we shall not be fixed in London. We will go to see whatever you would most like to see in the kingdom. Perhaps run up to Scotland. Of course, what I want to see is my boy, but other things would naturally have an attraction for you. Do not say no. It would be a great disappointment to me. Meet us in New York about the middle of May. Mr. Dallas wishes to go as soon as the spring storms are over. I have another reason for making this journey. I wish to keep Pitt from coming over to America. Betty's heart made a bound as she read this letter, and went on with faster beats than usual after she had folded it up a voyage and london and pitt dallas for a showman what could be more alluring in its temptation and promise going about in london with him to guide and explain things could opportunity be more favourable to finish the work which last summer left undone betty's heart jumped at it she knew she would say yes to mrs dallas she could say nothing but yes and yet questions did come up to her would it not be putting herself unduly forward would it not look as though she went on purpose to see, not London, but somebody in London? That would be the very truth, Betty confessed to herself, with a pang of shame and humiliation. The pang was keen, yet it did not change her resolution. What if? Nobody knew, she argued, and nobody would have cause to suspect. There was reason enough, ostensible, why she should go to England with Mrs. Dallas. If she refused to visit all the old ladies who had sons, her social limits would be restricted indeed. But Mrs. Dallas herself, would not she understand? Mrs. Dallas understood enough already, Betty said to herself defiantly. They were allies in this cause. It was very miserable that it should be so. However, not now to be undone or set aside. Lightly she had gone into Mrs. Dallas's proposition last summer, if it had grown to be life-and-death earnest with her, there was no need that Mrs. Dallas should know that. It was life-and-death earnest, and she must go to London. It was a capital plan. To have met Pitt Dallas again in Seaforth, and again spent weeks in his mother's house while he was there, would have been too obvious. This was better every way. Of course she could not refuse such an invitation, such a chance of seeing something of the world she who had always been too poor to travel pitt could not find any matter of surprise nor any ground for criticism in her doing that and it would give her all the opportunity she wished for 
Here, most inopportunely, came before her the image of Esther. How those two would suit each other! How infallibly Pitt would be devoted to her if he could see her! But Betty said to herself that she had a better right. They did not know each other. He was nothing to Esther. Esther was nothing to him. She set her teeth and wrote to Mrs. Dallas that she would be delighted to go. And then, having made her choice, she put away thought. All through the voyage she was the most delightful companion. A little stifled excitement, like forcing heat in a greenhouse, made all her social qualities blossom out in unwanted brilliancy. She was entertaining, bright, gay, witty, graceful. She was the admiration and delight of the whole company on board, and Mrs. Dallas thought to herself with proud satisfaction that Pitt could find nothing better than that, nor more attractive, and that she need wish nothing better than that at the head of her son's household and by his side. That Pitt could withstand such enchantment was impossible. She was doing the very best thing she could do in coming to England and in bringing Betty with her. Having meditated this journey for months, Mr. Dallas had made all his preparations. Rooms had been engaged in a pleasant part of the city, and there, very soon after landing, the little party found themselves comfortably established and quite at home. "'Nothing like England,' Mr. Dallas grumbled with satisfaction. "'You couldn't do this in New York. They understand nothing about it, and they are too stupid to learn. I believe there isn't a lodging house in all the little Dutch city over there.' You could not find a single house where they let lodgings in the English fashion. Mr. Dallas, it is not a Dutch city. Half Dutch, and that's enough. Have you let Pitt know we are here, wife? Mrs. Dallas had done that, but the evening passed away, nevertheless, without any news of him. They made themselves very comfortable, had an excellent dinner, and went to rest in rooms pleasant and well-appointed. But Betty was in a state of feverish excitement, which would not let her be a moment at ease. Now she was here, she almost was ready to wish herself back again. How would Pitt look at her? How would he receive her? And yet, what affair was it of his, if his mother brought a young friend with her, to enjoy the journey and make it agreeable? It was nothing to Pitt. And yet, if it were nothing to him, Betty would want to take passage in the next packet ship sailing for New York or Boston. She drew her breath short, until she could see him. He came about the middle of the next morning. Mr. Dallas had gone out, and the two ladies were alone, in a high state of expectancy, joyous on one part, most anxious and painful on the other. The first sight of him calmed Betty's heart beating. At the same time, it gave her a great thrill of pain. Pitt was himself so frank and so quiet, she said to herself, there was no occasion for her to fear anything in his thoughts. His greeting of her was entirely cordial and friendly. He was neither surprised nor displeased to see her. At the same time, while this was certainly comforting, Pitt looked too composedly happy for Betty's peace of mind. Apparently he needed neither her nor anybody. Do men ever? said Betty to herself bitterly. And besides, there was in his face and manner a nobleness and a pureness which at one blow drove home, as it were, the impression of the last year. Such a look she had never seen on any face in her life, except, yes, there was one exception, and the thought sent another pang of pain through her. But women do not show what they feel. And Pitt, if he noticed Miss Frere at all, 
saw nothing but the well-bred quiet which always belonged to Betty's demeanor. He was busy with his mother. "'This is a pleasure to have you here,' he was saying heartily. "'I thought we should have seen you last night. My letter was in time. Didn't you get it?' It went to my chambers in the temple, and I was not there. Where were you? At Kensington. At Kensington? With Mr. Strahan. Not with Mr. Strahan, said Pip gravely. I have been with him a great deal these last weeks. You got my letter in which I told you he was ill? Yes, and that you were nursing him. Then you did not get my letter telling of the end of his illness? You left home before it arrived. "'You do not mean that Uncle Strahan is dead?' "'It is a month ago or more. "'But there is nothing to regret, Mother. "'He died perfectly happy.' "'Mrs. Dallas passed over this sentence, which she did not like, and asked abruptly, "'Then what were you doing at Kensington?' "'There was business. "'I have been obliged to give some time to it. "'You will be as much surprised as I was "'to learn that my old uncle has left all he had in the world to me.' To you, Mrs. Dallas did not utter a scream of delight or embrace her son, or do anything that many women would have done in honor of the occasion, but her head took a little loftier set upon her shoulders, and in her cheeks rose a very pretty rosy flush. I am not surprised in the least, she said. I do not see how he could have done anything else. But I did not know the old gentleman had so much sense for all that. Is the property large? Rather large. "'My dear, I am very glad. "'That makes you independent at once. "'I do not know whether I ought to be glad of that, "'but you would never be let off from any line of conduct "'you thought fit to enter, "'by either having or wanting money.' "'I hope not. "'It is not high praise to say that I am not mercenary. "'Who was thinking to bribe me? "'And to what?' "'Never mind,' said Mrs. Dallas hastily. "'Was not the house at Kensington part of the property?' certainly and has that come to you too yes of course just as it stood i was going to ask if you would not move in and take possession take possession we yes mother it is all ready the old servants are there and will take very passably good care of you mrs bunce can cook a chop and boil an egg and make a piece of toast let me see what else can she do Everything that my old uncle liked, I know. Beyond that, I cannot say how far her power extends, but I think she can make you comfortable. My dear, aren't you going to let the house? No, mother. Why not? You cannot live in chambers in there, too. I can never let the house. In the first place, it is too full of things which have all of them more or less value, many of them more. In the second place, the old servants have their home there, and will always have it. You are bound by the will? Not at all. The will binds me to nothing. Then, my dear boy, it may be a long time before you would want to set up housekeeping there yourself. You might never wish it. And in the meantime, all this expense going on? I know what Uncle Strahan would have liked, Mamma. But apart from that, I could never turn adrift his old servants. They are devoted to me now. And, besides, I wish to have the house taken care of. When you have seen it, you will not talk any more about having it let. You will come at once, will you not? 
it is better than this i told mrs bunce she might make ready for you and there is a special room for miss frere where she may study several things he gave a pleasant glance at the young lady as he spoke which certainly assured her of a welcome but betty felt painfully embarrassed this is something we never contemplated she said turning to mrs dallas what will you do with me i have no right to mr pitt's hospitality generous as it is you will come with us of course said mrs dallas you are one of us as much as anybody could be and you would be very sorry afterwards if you did not i can tell you said pitt frankly my old house is quite something to see and i promise myself some pleasure in the enjoyment you all will have in it i hope we are so much old friends that you would not refuse me such an honor there was no more to say after the manner in which this was spoken and from embarrassment betty went over to great exultation what could be better than this and did even her dreams offer her such a bewildering prospect of pleasure she heard with but half an ear what pitt and his mother were saying yet she did hear it and lost not a word braiding in her own reflections diligently with the thoughts thus suggested they talked of mr strahan of his illness through which pitt had nursed him of the studies thus interrupted of the property thus suddenly come into pitt's hands i do not see why you should go on with your law-reading mrs dallas broke out at last really why should you you are perfectly independent already without any help from your father house and servants and all and money enough your father would say too much haven't you thought of giving up your chambers in the temple no mother any other young man would why not you what do you want to study law for any more one must do something you know something but i never heard that law was an amusing study is it not the driest of the dry rather dry in spots what is your notion then pitt if you do not like it i do like it and i am thinking of the use it may be the use said mrs dallas bewilderedly it is a grand profession he went on a grand profession when used for its legitimate purposes i want to have the command of it if the study is sometimes dry the practice is often or it often may be in the highest degree interesting purposes what purposes mrs dallas pursued fastening on that one word in pitt's speech righting the wrong mother and lifting up the oppressed a knowledge of law is necessary often for that and the practice too pitt said his mother i don't understand you betty thought she did and she was glad that mr dallas's entrance broke off the conversation then it was all gone over again mr strahan's illness pitt's ministrations the will the property the house concluding with the plan of removing thither betty saying nothing herself watched the other members of the party the gleam in mr dallas's money-loving eyes the contained satisfaction of mrs dallas's motherly pride and the extremely different look on the younger man's face with all the brightness and life of his talk to them with all the interest and pleasure he showed in the things talked about there was a quiet apartness on his brow and in his eyes a lift above trifles a sweetness and a gravity that certainly found their ailment neither in the sudden advent of a fortune 
nor in any of the accessories of money. Betty saw and read while the others were talking, and her outward calm and careless demeanor was no true indication of how she felt. The very things which drew her to Pitt, alas, made her feel set away at a distance from him. What had her restless soul in common with that happy repose that was about him? And yet, how restlessness is attracted by rest! Of all things it seemed to Betty one of the most delightful and desirable, not to be fretted, not to be anxious, to be never out of sorts, never seemingly discontented with anything or afraid of anything, while these terms were the very reverse of all which must describe her and everyone else whom she knew. Where did that high calm come from? No face that Betty had ever seen had that look upon it, except... Oh, she wished she had never seen that other, or that she could forget it. Those two fitted together. But I should make him just as good a wife, said Betty to herself. Perhaps better. And she does not care, and I do. Oh, what a fool I was ever to go into this thing. End of chapter 40 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.